Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd Out Book Club, which is just like a regular book club, except every once in a while, the author happens to stop by, and today is one of those days. Our September book is called The Shadow King. It's by Maza Mengiste, and it's a novel about underdogs and uprisings and the importance of hope. The backdrop is a super important event in Ethiopian history. Back in 1935, the fascist Italian Prime Minister Benito Mussolini decided he wanted to colonize an African country. At the time, Italy had one of the most advanced armies in the world, and Ethiopia did not. But somehow, after years of brutal fighting against all odds, Ethiopia finally drove out the Italians. Maza was born in Ethiopia, which means the story is super familiar to her. If you can imagine the stories that I grew up with, it, um, it nurtured my vision of what it means to be Ethiopian, what it means to be African. In Ethiopia, this was a story that everybody talks about. You know, my grandfather's generation, my great-grandparents' generation, there would be people that would come visit us, and they were usually identified with, oh, so-and-so fought in this battle so-and-so had this person and they're related to and they were in this war. So I grew up with this, but I didn't realize until I really started researching this book that there was a whole other side of this history that I knew nothing about. Turns out a lot of women helped win this war as badass lady soldiers. So today I'm going to talk with Maza about what she loves about Ethiopia and how hard it was to find these stories, and about the power of women's fury. Maza, welcome to Nerdette. Oh, thank you, Greta. It's wonderful to be here. So the story of Ethiopia defending itself from invasion, obviously it's a proud one, right? I mean, it's an underdog story, and Mm -hmm. it probably won't surprise anyone to learn that women were left out of that story. I mean, you think about stories about war. It's about men. It's about male soldiers. So many times in history, women are relegated to to be the cooks, you know, the people who clean up after anybody else. They're not the ones on the front line. They're not given their own narrative. And you've really shifted that with this book. It was really surprising to me the first time I, I came across a headline in the New York Times. I think it was a November 1935 article. Hmm. There it says, you know, a woman leads an army of 2,000 men into victory. I said, wait a minute. What? (laughs) How? This is the New York Times? How did I not know this? And I, you know, then I started really looking and I would find one or two other lines about somebody else. And it struck me, if there's one, there's Mm -hmm. two. If there's two, there's five. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I thought maybe there would be, let's say, 50, 100 women that fought. But I just talked not long ago to a historian who did this work. And she said, oh, no, we were a significant number. And that just blew my mind. So when she said significant number, did you ask her what that like? She looked at me like I was crazy and thinking there weren't that many. Wow. That's so amazing. Yeah. I think partly what makes the Shadow King so remarkable is that you are telling a story of war from the perspective of different women. And I wonder if that if that changed how you told the story, the fact that you're talking about women at war. It really shifted the way that I that I looked at this book and this history, because the minute that you begin to focus on women, um, or the minute I began to focus on women, mm-hmm. the one thing I realized is if I write about war, I also have to think about the spaces that women traditionally inhabit, which is the home. Mm-hmm. And how does the home look during wartime? And what, what transfers, what carries forward into war? Because, you know, we imagine if it's, so it's if, it, if this is war and it's just a man's war, we imagine that men cut off their ties to home, to women, right. to children, and mm-hmm. they leave and war is a separate story. Mm-hmm. But when you bring the women forward into that story, you suddenly realize, oh, husbands and wives, if they're irritated with each other in the house <laughs> pre-war, they're irritating each other in that camp in the tent. You know, you let, what are the dynamics? It completely shifted things. And that, rem, that lets me know that we've always spoken of war as something disconnected from home, mm-hmm. from the domestic. But in fact, it really is a domestic story. War disrupts those lives. Um, well, and it's about defending home. Absolutely. Too, right? Absolutely. And, you know, what do the enemy combatants do? When they go into a village, go into a town, they attack Mm -hmm. the women first Mm -hmm. because they know that to get to the men, you attack the women. If you attack the women, if you, you know, assault them, rape them, if they have children, you've just infiltrated another generation. Yeah. That is what war is. Um, And to have the women in my book become part of that story uh, because that is the story of war. It has always involved women. It completely shifted the way I, I conceived of this and conceived of all the stories that I had heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it forced me to consider the, the very intimate details of war that we often don't talk about. Yeah, which is to say, I mean, I'm sure no one will be surprised to hear this, but this book does have a lot of sexual violence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said, I... I I don't think it was necessarily surprising. I think that is something that obviously needs to be an important part of the story, but it's also really hard to read. Is that, was that was that a concern that you had when you were writing it, when you were thinking about the the impact of war on women? You know, um, I wanted to use those moments to also begin to think about the way that the body is territory. Hmm whether it's from the perspective of someone across the battle lines or from the perspectives of somebody who's supposed to be mm-hmm. your compatriot. Um, and the way that 
women and girls, you know, this character Hirut, but also Aster and the place of women mm -hmm. uh, within a society that's patriarchal is that we, we own every part of you. Right. We can do what we want. Um, yeah. And I wanted to show women and girls who became furious yeah. by the way they were treated and made no apologies for their fury. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think to do that, I needed to go into the spaces where they were violated to begin to show where the courage begins. You have... I think those connected to a lot of those scenes, you also have some beautiful passages from the points of view of different women, like disconnecting from themselves mm -hmm. and, and acknowledging that this is a memory that they won't want to keep, yeah. but also recognizing how much those moments will still define them. Mm -hmm. And they just floored me. Thank you, Greta. You know, this is, I think this is something that I realized in writing my, first book, which is dealing with revolution and people who were imprisoned and interrogated uh, in times of conflict. And one thing that my research showed me is that the mind and the imagination is a refuge that we have in mm -hmm. difficult times. And I think that this is why even during this pandemic, let's say January, February, March, when things started to get really intense and really horrifying and frightening, people were reaching for literature and art and music mm -hmm. because the, the, the imagination is a refuge. And these characters, um, you know, did the same thing. Where does the mind offer us, you know, these pockets of mercy? Where can we go and be protected in our head if our body has to stay in one place? Um, I know that that happens. It, it's constantly happening, not just in war, but in other situations. And I wanted to reflect that because um, it's not escapism. It is, it is a form of solidifying strength. It's survivalism. Yeah, in yeah. order to move on. Yeah. So... As you were researching this, how difficult was it to find stories of women who fought in this war? It was really difficult. Um, I it was it was quite literally looking at a line here or there and trying to say, wait, did they? Is this what they mean? Is this wow. what it is really saying? Did a woman really pick up a gun? you know, from her fallen husband and lead his army, which means she had to be standing next to him, which mm -hmm. means she had to be fighting. So it was all of the, you know, it, it was really difficult. It wasn't blatantly said, um, but I was able to find, uh, you know, accounts of, of groups of women who enlisted in the army. I was able to find photographs of them in uniform mm -hmm. with their rifles, but, um, it was difficult. And if you were to look at the evidence, um, historical data that we have even now, you might imagine there's only five. Wow. So it seems like a lot of it then is kind of like drawing, drawing lines, filling in the spaces between the dots. Sort of. Absolutely. Huh. Absolutely. And you mentioned photos. You yes. came across a lot of them as you were researching, right? I imagine I that's the inspiration for your Italian character in the book who is a photographer? Yes. Um, I knew that when Mussolini went, was preparing for this invasion of Ethiopia, he was starting to send photojournalists, photographers, 
um, journalists into Ethiopia to photograph people in order to, to show to the Italian masses why it was imperative for Italy to invade the country. Hmm. Um, they, they were showing aspects of village life and saying, this is how we need to civilize these people. Look at how they, they're living. We really need, they need Italians. So there were a majority of Italians who thought, well, yeah, we need to go help them. Um, so photography was a weapon. And I wondered what would, what would that be like to be that person carrying a camera to yeah. war? I made a decision pretty early on in my research. I lived in Rome and I was working in the archives. And I, I realized very quickly that the archives were a lot of documents, but a lot of those documents were fascist approved. Hmm. And I decided I would start looking for soldiers' letters, diaries, photographs in antique stores and markets, anywhere I could, I could go wow. and think about that. That's when the story really came alive because their journals and the photographs that they took that were their own personal photographs that didn't go through censorship. That weren't propaganda. Absolutely. Yeah. And told a whole other story. Another thing I was really curious to ask you about is, is the idea of the chorus in this mm -hmm. book. Um, because the chorus is a literary device that's been around for a super long time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got the Greek chorus back in Antigone days. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I remember I've seen it more recently in books like uh, The Virgin Suicides by mm -hmm. Jeffrey Eugenides has a chorus. Um, the Mothers by Britt Bennett is another great example. I'm curious why you decided to use that in this story. You know, there was obviously I, I was influenced by the Greek tragedies. Yeah. Um, I really loved the way that the choruses would sometimes come in and, you know, say something different from what the story was conveying. Mm -hmm. um, but also in Ethiopian culture, there are, I, I don't know, the English word troubadours. Mm -hmm. They're called Asmari in Asmari. Ethiopia. And they, you know, they play music. They, they're in these little bars, informal bars mm -hmm. across towns, across villages. And if you walk in, and they still exist today, and you walk in and sit down, you know, these, these, singers can look at you and make up a song immediately <laughs> and it's often raunchy it is embarrassing <laughs> you know the women who sing are flirting with whoever you know they're standing in front of and they don't you know it's just there's so many it's funny embarrassing and beautiful But, you know, this is also a way for um, history to get carried along through song. Mm -hmm. This is how battles and acts of heroism and people's births and deaths and marriages are remembered, were remembered way back uh, before newspapers, before people were reading. So um, in 1935, I imagined that these Asmari were passing along information, singing about battles, about heroics. And I wanted to honor them because it is through songs that, uh, that some of this history is, is still preserved. And having the chorus also let me speak back to my characters. You know, there are things that Aster doesn't want to say. 
She doesn't mm-hmm. want anyone to know something. Mm-hmm. And there are things that Hiru doesn't want to tell, but I had so much fun with the chorus because they would come in and they would say, actually, that's <laughs> the way it happened. She just wants you to believe that she is this badass, you know, but this is what really happened. <laughs> and I, I had a lot of fun with that as well. I love the idea, too, of them kind of being the voices of ancestors also. Yes. You know, and I think, I don't know, I, this this book got me thinking a lot about ideas around, you know, trauma and memory and and kind of what we what we keep even if we don't want to. Mm-hmm. And I think the course kind of speaks to that thematically as well, that that it, it, there are certain truths that you just can't escape. And sometimes that's a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a horrible thing. Yeah, there's something that there's a line that goes through the book. Um, and it it's the chorus will say it and it's in the very beginning of the book that the chorus is trying to tell us that this you know there's no way but through it yeah you know there's yeah, no escape exactly. but what you make from the inside and the chorus is this voice of you know the dead in a way um they are here to tell their story they want this story told but they don't want people to get away with trying to forget their own parts the parts of their own history with Maza in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So were any of your own family members involved in the war in 1935? You know, yes. Um, I know that from my my father's side, his brothers, cousins, uh, my grandfather, they were involved, heavily involved. Hmm. But I did not know until I was basically done with the book and I was doing final, final location edits. I had to go to Ethiopia at the last minute to do some work. Uh Um, And I was, I decide, my mom goes with me on all these research trips in Ethiopia. She, she loves it. So that's wonderful. Yeah. So we took, uh, it had to be like 10 days, almost 10 days on the road, going to different villages where some of the book is set. And it wasn't until we got back home to Addis Ababa uh, that I was telling her, you know, I have a photograph of a woman and blah, blah, blah. And she just really casually turned to me and she said, well, what about your great grandmother? What? Yeah. And I looked at her. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I said, 
said. He squawked at her. We had just like we had finished dinner. I had my glass of wine, and I looked at her. I, I was. I said, "What?" It just the words could not sink in my head. And she said, "Your great grandmother," as if, oh, you know, Duh. daughter, you know, or something. And um, so my great grandmother had enlisted in the war as a young girl, and. I had no idea of this story. The book was done. It makes me think about uh, what actually memory is. Like those things we think we make up are maybe stories that are stored inside of us. Ooh, that's um, beautiful. It was fascinating to think about. Does so? So does that make you think? Like, if you had known this story earlier, do you think you would have written a different book, or do you think you always kind of knew the story and it was just in you that way? I really did not know this story. I, I don't wow. know what would have happened if I had known it before. I, I wrote with a complete freedom. Yeah. And I think, in a sense, this was better because I didn't feel obligated to reproduce a family story. Yeah. Uh, it's just that the coincidences struck me. It felt, it was astounding when I heard this. That is, that is truly <laughs> astounding. That's wonderful. I wonder, to wrap, if there's, I mean, I, I, I highly recommend this book as an opportunity to learn a lot about, about Ethiopia and its strength and, and its imperfections. But I wonder, too, if there's, if there's something you wish more people knew, especially here in the U.S., about Ethiopia? Uh, it is a beautiful, diverse country. Uh, I think that a lot of people, when they think of Ethiopia, think of those stories of famine from the 80s. Mm -hmm. uh, but Ethiopia is is much more than that. It's much more than... Um, you know, one ruler. It is a group of over a hundred million people with several um, several religions: uh, Christian, Muslim, Indigenous. Um, it is, you know, it. How many? The last time I checked, I think eighty different languages. Wow! It is diverse. Um, it's beautiful. It is a stunning country, and. I recommend that people visit, uh, go to the north, go to the south. It's some of the most beautiful country I've seen. And I, I'm really not being biased. <laughs> <laughs> and we have the best food. <laughs> well, Maza, thank you so much for, for writing such a lovely book and for, for chatting with me about it. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. Maza Mengiste, what a fascinating story. I cannot wait for y'all to read The Shadow King, and you should send us a voicemail about it once you've read it. Just record yourself, tell us what you think about it, and then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. And then be sure to come back for our panel discussion on Friday, September 26th. Oh, and hey, do you have pumpkin spice opinions? Like, are you uh, really insistent that it is not yet fall? Have you baked apple cider donut loaf cakes yet? We would love to hear from you about those opinions. It's coming up for Tuesday's episode. So like, do it right now. Same deal. Record yourself. Email the file nerd at gmail.com. 
All right, that's it for today. The show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. We will see you on Tuesday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.